What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogs Haven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul, man. What's going on? Um, Obviously, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. not forget the you. Appreciate it, man. I hope y'all enjoyed y'all bye week like I did, man. It was a eventful <laughs> eventful bye week man i'm not gonna say too much on here but i will say um check out the trapper dive podcast on youtube man uh my boy nick and rap popped out with me on the bye week we went to atlanta um had ourselves a good little time and a crazy way to end the weekend <laughs> i don't know if we're gonna talk about that on air man i'm recording this before we do our lives our, our podcast recording so um we're gonna play it by air and see how things turn out <laughs> uh and, and get to that point but um joining us on this podcast today is a good man nick Ackridge. uh nick covers the commanders uh for pro football focus um he does gradings for all 32 teams but obviously is tuned in with the commanders he is a fan of the team as well so um you know we get a little bit more insight uh and and uh what's the word uh uh, in-depth insight on on who the commanders are given he follows the team as well so um on this episode that's how we breaking in the bye week it's bringing up the good man nick uh chopping up with him about all things commanders uh and, and see where uh, see where the team is from his evaluation standpoint um news as we get into things though uh carson wentz activated that man is activated um nobody knows if he's actually going to fully back up taylor heineke just yet um, just given how wrong I've been so far on Chase Young <laughs> since he's been activated, uh, knowing my conversations with a couple of people, I kind of figured that uh, Chase Young would have been activated a couple times already. And I think I have said that on this podcast as well, and just hasn't happened. Um, and I'm going to ask Nick about, you know, his thoughts on Chase Young too, um, with four games left in the season, but, um, he's, Activated Carson Wentz is, and uh, the plan is from Ron Rivera to have him as a backup, you know, when he was fully ready to go. So uh, we'll see if he is as the day, as the week moves along um, and, and figure out if he's, like, fully active. And in that event, he will be backing up uh, Taylor Heineke to that point. And um, you all know for me, as I've said on this show several thousand times and another conversation I'll probably end up having with Nick, uh, the, the clock officially starts ticking for Taylor, in my opinion. Um, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, I've always said the minute that he starts backing up Taylor Carson being is, is when that evaluation period stands, it officially starts for the coaches and for Taylor himself. So we're going to kind of see how that thing goes as the week moves along. It's nothing to really, uh, dive do too deep into right now as we get ready for the conversation with Nick and myself. But I personally do think that, um, you know, a bad game out the gate, especially against an opponent that you prepared for for three weeks now, I guess, I think is the right word, maybe uh, around three weeks, whether it's uh, uh, prepare, uh, self-scout, um, correct some mistakes, all these other things. Like you, you've been around them for like three weeks now and um, back-to-back games at that for your team. So uh, I think a, a negative game out the front, out the gate kind of puts Carson Wentz at like uh, well above 50% chance to, to be the starting quarterback again, uh, but outside of that, a win um, and and a win in similar circumstances in which Washington has had over the past seven weeks 
obviously six wins in the, in the last seven um, games. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of where you're at with the team. Or six six in the last eight weeks, excuse me, um, with the one loss and one tie. So we'll see. Uh, but up next, we want to get the good man Nick on and chop it up about the boys. Um, I will be back later in the week as we get ready for the Giants again. <laughs> Back-to-back weeks, man. So uh, y'all take it easy. Up next, Nick Ackridge of Pro Football Focus. And joining me right now is Pro Football Focus, senior data, data analyst and commanders analyst by default as well, Nick Ackridge. Uh, like I said, Nick contributes. I think I got this right because I assume so Nick contribute you contribute to all 32 teams for pro football focus. Um, and yeah. obviously you get your turn here and there with the commanders. Yeah. Usually if it's a one o'clock game, I'm usually on, on one side of the offense grading that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, most weeks it's just kind of rotating in and out. Copy that. Copy that. So I, I, I really like that too. Cause like for, this is a side note. Um, I think for you and, like for me, so I, I do scouting and like they require us to do whatever free agents are available, like depending on the positions that I got. And and I think the reason why I appreciate people's perspective, especially when they're like their job or whatever hobby or whatever it is, they got something to do like outside of their favorite team. It, it provides more perspective on the league because you have a you have a more in detail, in-depth knowledge about just he can be the most random player on a team and you just know about him because of, you have to evaluate them on a week by week basis. Um, and, and for your case, a rotational basis. So I think that even adds more perspective into this conversation. Cause when you look at, um, well, I guess I'll start with the commanders first and then we'll rotate to the giants um, and some other teams on the last four stretch. So um, I was about to get into soliloquy, but let's transition and then circle back to it. <laughs> uh, Nick, man, like I said, I appreciate you joining me, man. What are, your top three reasons, uh, if you had to give three, for this six one and one stretch over the last eight weeks? Uh, defense, defense, and defense. <laughs> no, I mean, it's defense, running game, and and honestly, good luck. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it with, with Heineke. He's just been on a good, a good luck stretch right now. And I've said it in every podcast I've been on, every tweet I've said it. None of it ever makes any sense. I don't understand – how he's been successful. If you're just watching the games and you're watching him kind of go, go through progressions, his decision-making, none of it makes any sense, but they keep winning. And I mean, the defense has been incredible. Running game has been good enough. Like it's not like they're out there dominating teams in the run game. It's yeah. just like kind of been steady four or five yard rushes and, you know, just these long drives being put together. But I think those are the biggest, biggest three reasons. So there was this thing uh, I want to I want to get to you about you had this tweet about Taylor Heineke and I was trying to remember it for the life of me before you got on and I can't but I'm oh, going to read this I'm going to read this one tweet from pro football actually pro football focus again uh Tim Timo Reisk I'm not familiar with him per se but Timo yeah. Timo Reisk he's yeah, German Timo I don't Reisk. know how to pronounce the last name but <laughs> all right Timo Reisk we're gonna go with PFF move <laughs> um <laughs> so since week six so this is prior to the Giants game so they were six one six and one at the time so not six one and one yet but since week six the commanders have generated a negative 0.08 EPA per pass play ranking 27th in the uh 27th in the league their six and one record is the best record in the league, not tied. It is the best. He followed this up by saying, I did the research 
look at all seven game stretches with at least six wins since 2015. There are 328 such stretches. The only one, there is only one team that have averaged fewer EPA per pass play in a six and one stretch. And that was the 2016 New York Giants. So the commanders and Taylor Heineke since week six um, have found themselves in some unique territory. And I think to your point, like I said, you had had this tweet about Taylor Heineke, I think after the Giants game, and you had mentioned, um, I, I'm not even going to ruin it because I know you know the tweet that you're yeah. that I'm probably thinking about. I want to give you the floor and kind of just elaborate on the quarterback position altogether and just how this offense has really been um, getting by by the skin of his teeth, really. Yeah, so I, I tweeted out, and I, it's always something that I thought of, but I finally was able to put it down <laughs> into words. I said, I say it every week, and I know it doesn't make sense, but Heineke is holding this passing offense back, and at the same time is the reason it's remotely yes. successful. Yes. And I, like, for all Commanders fans, we know exactly what I mean by that tweet. But everybody else in the rest of the NFL, that doesn't make any sense at all. Because he is really holding this offense back. And, and you watch it. Like, you, you see – Guys are running open. He's missing them. Either he's just not even seeing them completely. He's just missing it, overthrows, underthrows, all these sorts of things. Or he's making those incredible plays like on fourth down to in the game-time drive against New York. I mean, it's just it, – it doesn't make any sense. Like he does – like Mark, Mark Bullock commented right under it. He says um, – <clears throat> he was like, yeah, he does all of the hard stuff well and the easy stuff hard. Like it just – there was a one play I think it was um, – Jahan Dotson was running a crosser over the middle and mm-hmm. Heineke does a great job to kind of elude the pressure, keep himself in the pocket. And now he just easily just needs to loft it up over one defender okay. and Jahan Dotson's wide open, easy 30, 40 yards. And he just simply just way overthrows it. And it's just that sort of play kind of sums him up perfectly. And uh, right now they're getting away with it and they're able to kind of keep it in these low scoring, ugly games and just kind of come away at the end. But yeah, it's it's been rough to kind of to to really watch and break down. So uh, I I like how you started out things, and, and I think we'll just bounce around at that point. Um, you had mentioned as well um, as part of your <laughs> as part of your three reasons was luck. Um, I think so. Put it this way: there was a there was another tweet um, about like how teams would look if um, now this was a general. I don't even know who made this, but it was just simply if the games were flipped in that like the the one score possession one score wins were flipped these are those teams records the minnesota vikings at 10 and 1 would have been 1 and 10 or something (laughs) like that and then the the washington commanders would be 4 8 and 1 i think i think was the record um and to that degree nick the defense like you mentioned it's 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 turnaround is incredible and we're going to get to the defense in a second um, and, and just from an overall perspective, like when you're seeing how they're winning these one possession games and continuously finding a way to do so, uh, I feel like there's tears to, to the type of play style that they are. Like the, the San Francisco 49ers are a tier, like tier two above the Washington Commanders uh, simply because they do have the same philosophy. However, they also have better playmakers and a better offensive line uh, surrounding like the team altogether on both sides, better playmakers, um, especially in the trenches. Um, in terms of uh, offensive line, Trent Williams and uh, defensive line, you got a Bosa, <laughs> like simple as that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you got Debo on the outside and things like that. Uh, and then you have the commanders who are a tier below who has the same philosophy off- offensively. But when you don't have the talent, um, whether it's through the offensive line or through the quarterback, 
you start running into problems. Um, so the the luck aspect, uh, how do you like is this something that you see can be sustainable for the rest of the season, or is it like something where you think uh, it could be a matter of time until like that luck runs out and you kind of like settle back down to reality? Yeah, I think the defense the defense is here to stay. Like I I don't think there's much luck involved. Like you can make the case to um, the game when you play against Atlanta, that's part luck, part skill, but Payne getting his hand on it, and then you just kind of being in the right place at the right time. But defense is here to stay. I think they've extremely – they play extremely well, and I think they're one of the top five, like, best units right now in the NFL. The offense, it, I just – I don't think it's sustainable at all because, like I said, you need to get – at the very end of these games, you need to have that, that perfect drive and kind of have it all go perfectly. And we did that with New York to tie it up. Then you had another chance at it, and you just just failed over and over and over again. The defense kept holding you into it, and that's why you ended up with a tie. I just the way they play, like you said, it is San Francisco light. Like they're they're trying to be San Francisco. You just you don't have the quarterback that can um, operate this offense efficient enough, like a Jimmy G does, or like even a Brock. We ain't gonna, no, we ain't gonna say no, no. He got two games in it, but I, I get it and I respect it, but. We, now he's we done see. good enough. Like it, yes. he's not setting yes. the world on fire, but he's done yeah. good enough. He, he's yeah. done what he's supposed to do. And sometimes you make the argument that Heineke is doing that, but he's also at the same time not doing it. Um, but yeah, it's just like you said, they have a better offensive line, better defensive line. And that's kind of like you said, what they want to be, but you just need everything to bounce the right way. And we've seen that over this, this winning streak. Like we've seen, like I said, with the Falcons game, you have that that batted pass at the end, and, and you win the game because that because we all thought that they the Falcons were going to score a touchdown there. Like they set it up perfectly, run the clock out, and you just got a great play from Payne, and the ball kind of finds you in the end zone. Great pick from from Kendall Fuller. You just need these sort of bounces to continue to go your way, and you can make the case that they might continue to go that way. But that's just kind of football, and at, sometimes with these teams that are all kind of jumbled together, it's who gets that lucky bounce, who gets that break towards the end of the game. And that's kind of the difference between that win and loss. And that's why it's so hilarious what the Vikings are doing right now because yes. the negative point differential, and like you said, if you flip their record in one score game, the complete opposite. So they've been playing. They've, they've had those bounces at the end of the games. We saw it against when they played Washington. Like that's a close game and just right down to the end of it. So I, I just don't – I don't think the offense is sustainable at all because, like I said, it's not like they're just mauling teams on the ground. It's yeah. been like just continuous four, five-yard runs. And if you can keep that going, you need to stay away from the penalties. That just absolutely destroys a drive. If you don't have a quarterback then you know, that can consistently convert third and long. So, um, I mean, I think the defense is going to keep them in every single game they play. But I, I just – I don't trust that offense anymore. Where, where is – from what you understand, uh, Antonio Gibson and, and Brian Robinson, where do you think, like, uh, what is their kind of grades for, for PFF or, or even for you? Like, how do you view them in this offense? Because to your point, I agree. Um, like the the run game, you know, it is what it is. Like it's nothing top tier. It's not a lead or anything. However, I think that the running backs uh, are finding ways to create yards uh, for themselves. I think Brian Robinson over the last two weeks in particular um, has been more comfortable in this offense, but also more comfortable in his ability. So therefore he's getting more comfortable on the field as a result. Um, and he's finding a way to create some yards. Uh, what are you seeing from your side when you have a chance to look at that offense? Yeah, Brian Robinson's been great. Like, there's there's not many holes that this offensive line is kind of producing, but he's been able to take those two yard gains, turn it into five, like one yard gains, turn it into three, and just kind of stuff like that. So he's graded out well in PFF. I think he's been um, at least top two in the offense for the past couple of weeks, just because, like I said, he's 
when we're grading running backs highly, it's what are you producing outside of what's kind of given. So like if you have a wide open gap, you get about 10 yards from it. That's just a decent grade. But if you're taking a small gap and you're taking what should be like one or two yards into like 10, that's when you're going to be graded sort of um, higher in our system. So that's what B-Rob's kind of doing right now. And Antonio Gibson, I, I like the way they use both of them. I, I think it's kind of a great change of pace, I think. And you throw Curtis Samuel back there in the backfield. Yeah. I love what Turner does in the run game. I think he's really kind of creative and unique with, with some of the stuff he does. Um, so I think it's just kind of a great one-two punch. And then, like I said, with Samuel back there as well. Turner. Um, so I want to get to the offensive line next, but Turner, again, another timely (laughs) mention of somebody, I I think after this season, um, here, I I think there's a dichotomy and I'll just try to explain it the best I can. I'll get a photo of you. I think that Turner is still a questionable offensive coordinator, but I don't think it's from necessarily play design. Um, if that makes sense, like, I think, uh, Scott Turner, now he does have some issues like in terms of how he kind of counters certain looks or how like when he wants to take control of a of a of a battle, like whether he's going to be in a pass a passive situation against like a pressure team in the New York Giants or maybe the Detroit Lions. And there's like two other teams that I, I keep forgetting every single time I bring this this point up. Um, but some pressure teams where he's kind of letting them dictate uh the 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 kind of the, the flow of the game on that side of the ball. However, from a, a design overall design standpoint, I think that as you mentioned earlier with Taylor, plays are there for this offense, especially in the past game. And then from the run game, you saw like as this six one and one stretch for Washington has relied a lot on the run game, how he's been more creative and, and also been able to evaluate who he has up there. Like it's not like Andrew Norwell and, and Trey Turner is only going to get you but so much. So how do you use them the most effective way that you can? <laughs> and then also yeah. you get Tyler Larson back um when he was on IR heading like uh in the offseason and, and you get Tyler Larson back for what five or six games I believe or maybe seven games uh altogether and and you have him back so now you're able to kind of find your way uh offensively especially when you're forced to play a certain style of offense again I think the the designs are okay uh or are good but I think there is the the difference is is what hurts them is, is understanding um whether whether or not to use certain pass protections uh, or, or certain protection schemes a certain way, especially against pressures or understanding uh, the best play call or best situation. Like when you're trying to run, run or pass, like how do I get that feel? And I think that's probably the problem. It's not the designs, but more so the feel of the game that really hurts uh, uh, Scott Turner. What are your thoughts on the offensive coordinator? No, I, I think you nailed it. Like I, he gets, he gets so much crap from fans and that's kind of how it is with every offensive coordinator. When offense isn't playing well, it's, you know, blame the offensive coordinator and, you know, yell fire him and whatnot. But I think you nailed it perfectly. Like the design and the the offense itself is, is, I like it. Like I'm a fan of it, but like there's a time and place where he just like, he gets a little too comfortable with certain calls at times. Like I mentioned Mark Bullock again, he brings it up all the time. If it's third down, Scott Turner is running some form of mesh. It's just every single third down he's running mesh. And sometimes I don't know how defensive coordinators aren't picking up on that. Like if I can pick up on that and they should be able to, um, but yeah, like it, it's certain scenarios where he just kind of doesn't really, um, like you said, really pick up on what he should be doing. Like, I think, um, the big, the, the drive in overtime where we got Curtis Samuel, the, the big run. Yes. Um, I talked about this, put a little thread together about it. Um, the trap call was perfect. Like that was the first time they called uh, a trap run. They set it up all game by running counter. And so you get that three tech to just kind of shoot through the gap, expecting to, you know, have somebody there and, 
he just falls flat on his face, and then Curtis Samuel does the rest. I think the next two runs were great. Uh, it was a good idea. It's just Logan Thomas complete whiffs on a block. Yes. And then, so why don't you have? Was, sorry, why don't you have John Bates out there? Like, I think in the moment in overtime, was, but I think they ran to the opposite side. So they took him out. They t- they had him in the play before. It was two runs, like you mentioned. True. But the second the second play with Logan, it was uh they ran strong side with Logan, but it was just Logan out there in eleven. Yeah, was, I'm like, if in my head, I'm like, if you have if you have one of your best run blockers on the on the team who was just out there a play before. Why are you trusting Logan Thomas in this specific spot? I, it, it really bothered me. I didn't have nobody to talk to about it, Nick. Yeah. I had I had to nah. bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I to give Logan Thomas just a little bit of a break here. It was a great play by I think it was Thibodeau because he yeah. had he had the edge. He was supposed to set the edge, and that's what Thomas was expecting. So he was trying to keep him to shade inside, and he just jumped quickly inside of him and blew it up. So Thomas didn't really expect that. Um, but like I said, if that play works, you're in third and one, third and two at the very worst. But I'm expecting yeah. Robinson to probably get a first down there. Um, and then the play after that was a screen. I understand yeah. the the idea of getting a screen because then you get yourself to like the 40-ish, 42-yard line. Then you have a chance at either a fourth down conversion or you could possibly kick a very long field goal to win it. The design of the screen and the idea behind it was just not great. You had a, It was a three-by-two. You had the through the screen to the three-wide receiver side. But you know the Giants and Wink Martindale in a big down, they're going to play man. They're going to play cover zero. They're going to play one. They're going to blitz you. So the design of the screen sent two wide receivers towards the screen. So then you basically send two men right towards the screen. And so even if Dotson gets the block on the guy on the outside, you're just sending a guy right to him. So I think that kind of, in my mind, sort of summed up his downfalls and some of his the smart part of, you know, kind of, I like the screen idea. I don't like the concept of it to sort of say no i 100% understand man and and i I appreciate you sharing that because um now we're transitioning to uh another issue and i guess tyler larson i think is is a big deal um because i don't know what they're going to do with west white i also don't know what their plans are with nick martin And, and i think we understand uh what nick martin was in his short period here as a starter before larson came back uh, Wes, Wes Schweitzer is back, um, but we don't know also what Sam Cosme's situation is on the offensive line altogether. Uh, I'll just give the floor to you, just understanding the new offensive line situation. Uh, what are your thoughts about, I mean, obviously a, 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 a very inconsistent slash poor unit throughout the season uh, from a collective standpoint, but just understanding where they are right now and uh, who could and could not be available or may or may not be available. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this offensive line and how they can, you know, at least find a Band-Aid for the next four yeah. weeks? I mean, the, the the big problem has always been that interior three. It's just been rough. Like, you get basically a revolving door at center, and once Chase really goes down, I think he's their best offensive lineman. Um, he went down. He, he wasn't playing too well coming back from the injury, then got injured again. But you lose a center like that, and it's just going to kind of tank your whole offensive line. Um then you have issues at guard. Norwell has not been great. Um, the right guard, another revolving door. I think fans and everyone were kind of pushing for Sam Cosby to play right guard, but he didn't look too great the last the last week. Um, but you also have, you know, Lucas out there, right tackle, who's playing well. So I think the two tackles are good. Like you have Leno and Lucas. They're they're both solid tackles. Like Charles Leno is one of the best pass blocking tackles in the NFL, yeah. just from a pure technique point. Um so you have those good tackles there, and I, I like Cosme at right tackle as well. But 
that interior three makes the rest of it just look so, so bad. So I, I don't know. I, I like Wes Schweitzer at right guard when he was playing there kind of consistently um, a year or two ago. He was really good there. At center, he struggles. Uh, I think didn't he started the year at center, I believe, right? Was it the first game? Yeah. I, I graded oh, that. I think um Ruye was there. That's where that's when because Ruye had the Jags game, and then I think he he left after maybe he the played Beach one game. he played one game. I think yeah, it, was, oh, it was Philly. It was Philly. He was okay. the center. And I was grading that game and I ch- chartered him with a low snap on almost every single play because they were just Good putting Lord. a nose tackle right on him. Mm-hmm. And he was just getting killed just trying to snap the ball and he couldn't snap it efficiently. So I think him at center is kind of rough. Um, but I do really like him at right guard. I just think you just like you said, it's just a band-aid at this point, and you gotta have to figure out how you can manage the rest of the year with with that interior three. And, and that's my thing, Nick. Like this we can talk about the and I think it's a legitimate conversation. I, I don't care what anybody else tries to tell me. I think it's a legitimate conversation to have about this quarterback thing moving forward. Uh, the, the next four games, I think is important. I mean, look, in, in Atlanta, I, this is a, a not the greatest example because they're not in the same situation, but they are still technically in the playoff race when, when it comes to their division. But they didn't hesitate to move on from Mariota for the rookie. And I'm not saying Washington should move on from Taylor to the rookie, but they have other quarterback options available to them that are not Taylor Heineke. And point being, regardless of that conversation with the quarterback, this offensive line is probably the biggest story because trenches matter. And you're seeing what's, what's going on on the other side of the ball. But when you talk about this offensive line going up against San Francisco in a couple weeks, you have the Cleveland Browns in two weeks as well, or two or three weeks, I think, um, after the San Francisco game. And then you have Dallas at the end of the season. Um, and not to mention, you just got worked <laughs> by Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ajilari, like, these are legitimate fronts for your offensive line to be focused on. And you have all of these guys on the next four weeks. Trenches matter, Nick. And, and that's kind of like at the same time, as much as I have an opinion on that quarterback position, none of it truly matters. If you can't get this offensive line situation. Correct. Yeah. I mean, they, they absolutely like for a team like Washington and all these kind of teams that are in the middle, the trenches are kind of the most important part because they all kind of have these same, sort of quarterback situation where you don't really have the guy, but he's doing enough to kind of win you games. So you definitely need that offensive line and the defensive line to really step up. We have the defensive line and that's what kind of is keeping us in the game. But yeah, that interior three is, they're going to have a huge test against San Francisco. The Browns will be a, a nice little, should be easier for them. They've had a rough stretch on the interior mm-hmm. defensive line. I mean, Miles Garrett kind of makes the rest of that better, but okay. yeah, I think it's, it's huge, man. If you can just kind of, just hope and pray that you can get three guys that can get up there to just block a little bit. Um, it, it would be better. I mean, and that kind of speaks to the quarterback situation. We go back to that. Like if you put Carson Wentz back there, you think he's surviving? Like, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough ask for him because he did not look comfortable in the pocket and he's kind of gone downhill in terms of his, you know, pocket manipulation. And that's where Taylor's kind of best, but then he just misses the easy part. So it's like you're playing with, it's just bad kind of with both ways. Like, I don't know what you do. Cause like, I agree. Like the, Taylor needs to, there should be somebody behind him kind of breathing down his neck. Cause he has not played great. But again, it's like the guy that you're going to possibly put back there that his biggest weakness right now is just maneuvering in the pocket and quickly making decisions. And that's a big problem with the interior offensive line that's struggling right now. So it's, I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I, I'm going to be entertained. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's go ahead and flip it to the, 
the I mean the undoubtedly best side of the the team uh the, the defense and and I I think like heading into the year I don't know I'm not going to sit here and say this is everybody's sentiment I would say this much I thought that the offense would have been a top 10 unit and the defense a top 15 unit I thought that that's what they were capable of especially the offense given uh like I can envision what they wanted to get done and and then obviously you actually step on the field and you see how things work out the defense turns up um first couple games out of the year just uh out of source out of wax several miscommunication breakdowns and um it, it continued on for a good period of time and like they still have some here and there but i think the the end of the day what truly mitigates those big play potentials or potential for big plays is how they're playing up front in the trenches yet again uh, i'll get a floor to you in just terms of your defense uh your defensive thoughts but also um the the, the standouts i guess uh because i think it's 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 on un, it's undoubtedly the interior defensive line so i guess jonathan allen and deron Payne. so your thoughts on the defense and then obviously those two in particular yeah i mean we've seen this defense kind of struggle out of the gates these past couple of years and it's like it kind of speaks to just the kind of scheme that they're playing and uh, a lot of times with these these two high teams and these quarters teams i try not to get too scheme talky but you need to trust the guy next to you. Like you need to know what he's reading and you guys are all reading the same thing. So you see a lot of these teams that are playing these off too high shells to just kind of, there's a lot of busts because there's miscommunications. You're not trusting the guy next to you. So it takes time to kind of gel with that. And the more games you play, the better it gets. And it, it, we've seen that like just a perfect example of it this year. Like the, the back four have been so much better together with you have Forrest and curl back there and, and fuller and, even St. Juice, and then you put Bobby McCain down the slot. And I think all of them have been really good. They've been smart, sound football. They're not trying to make too many plays. They're just playing what they're supposed to do, and that's what makes the rest of the team look better. But, yeah, when you have somebody like Jonathan Allen that can win in two seconds, it makes everybody look better. So, yeah, I think Jonathan Allen, I think, is still the best player on the defense. Even before Chase Young was injured, before he was – if he's coming back, I think Jonathan Allen is the best player. <clears throat> I think Deron Payne is severely underrated in our system. I get asked it mm. all the time. What's his uh, grade? Just, his grade is a 59.2. But I think that's – yeah, I know, I know, I know. Come on, let me have it. <laughs> no, no, no. So, look, I, I don't – so the thing is, for, for what it's worth, I, I, I follow you, so I, I know the interactions you get with PFF. But, like, I never, like, let those – like, my reaction was, like, because I understand, like, the, the, the 60s is just average, right? 60s mm -hmm. is average. So, hearing yeah. 59, I'm like, he's below average in the system? Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I'm like, what is – what? I don't know where it came from, but I would love to hear like how it's graded. So him. a lot of, so the tough thing is, is what I've kind of talked about with him is his job is kind of that nose tackle is to just eat up blocks. So a lot of times when you see him or the defense playing well, you see a lot of times Holcomb and Davis can able, they're able to shoot their gaps because he's just mm -hmm. eating blocks. And for our system, if you're taking on a double team and you're just kind of holding that double team, it's just a zero for us. And so that you can make the argument that that should be a positive, And I've made that argument before. Um, but it's just a zero for, for us in our system. He's also struggling. Like when he gets, he gets these quick wins at times, but then he misses the tackle in the backfield. So we're grading him with that quick win, but then we're also have to grade him with the missed tackle. Like right now we have seven missed tackles for him on the year. Mm -hmm. And that's tied for second most with Jamin Davis and then Bobby McCain ahead of him. So Great. that's kind of what brings down the grade, um, a lot more, uh, pass rush wise. He's, he's up there above 70 in the pass rush grade but it's it's the tackling and i think it's just our sort of system it just doesn't really reward the way he plays um some of the higher graded defensive like interior linemen that you always see in our system are obviously aaron donald but you yeah. see chris jones you see jonathan allen because 
they're elite, elite pass rushers, and they can win quickly. And that's what we are giving the biggest grades to. You don't see a lot of those huge run stuffing guys that are going to be up there. And I think that is a flaw in our system a little bit. And I've kind of talked about it a lot. I get yelled at every single week because of it. But um, no, I think he's severely underrated in, in, in our grade. And uh, I think you'll see him get paid what he's what he's deserved from hopefully Washington or, or somebody else. So let me ask you about Monte Sweat in this, in this same vein. Um, I had this matter of fact, it was with Mark. Um, I had this conversation with Mark about Montez and, and that I, I think that uh, Montez is a good athlete and a very good tool for the defensive line. But I think his, his bigger issues come across like trying to win the one-on-one rush reps against the, the offensive tackles um, and, and things like that. And specifically what I mean is that he, he does win and he, he gets his pressures and he gets his, he gets his sack numbers. Right. But I think he wins a lot more, on like stunts and line games versus like the actual one-on-one situations where he has to block, I mean, excuse me, defeat a block against offensive tackle. Um, and, 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 and sometimes like in my head, when I see this is all across the league, it's not just Washington, but we pay attention to Washington all the time. Uh, when you see those sack numbers and, and you see people like throw that out there, like, Oh, X, X player is such a dog. Um, somebody disagrees and they'd be like, well, this X player has, 13 sacks on the season well how many of those 13 were off of line games and it could be 11 that's off of line games how many did he actually win on one-on-one situations and i'm not discrediting montez sweat as again i'll repeat for those who are listening he is a very valuable tool for this offense for this defensive line but i think there should be some nuance when you talk about how somebody is winning versus how they are not winning uh nick what is the the pff grade on on sweat but also what is your opinion on him as well I again, I think you nailed it per- perfectly. There, there's no nuance on Twitter. You can't have those conversations on Twitter. Yeah. When you see sack numbers, it's just like, all right, whoever has the most sacks, they're the best edge rusher. I think Matthew Judon is a perfect example. I, does he lead the NFL in sacks right now? I think he does. Um, he was up there before last last night. I'm sure he's yeah, still around. I mean, that he's up there. Our pass rush grade. He's mid tier in terms of pass rush grade because he is a huge recipient of these unblock these unblock sacks. Because like you said, these stunts that he is. He's the looper. He's the guy getting these free rushes on him. And that's no discredit to him because he's an incredible athlete and he's able to kind of take advantage of that. But yeah, Sweat does the same thing. I think it's a pretty good comp is that they're both incredible athletes. They're not the greatest one-on-one pass rusher. Top of first, um, by the way. Bosa and yeah. Judon, 14 and a half. Yeah, so, but, but who would you take? Like if you oh, take we, Bosa and we Judon, know. like it's not even a question, <laughs> we know. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, like, It's not a question, but you see those sack numbers and you're like, oh, okay, hold on. But you, there's always nuance to all of it. And that's why I think our grades are so great sometimes is because you'll see these sack numbers and they have just like a low pressure count and you, you wonder why that is. But then you see the grade and it kind of matches up what you're seeing if you're just really kind of paying attention to it. Um, so, yeah, no, I think Montez, I think Montez Sweat is a great run defender. I think he's one of the best edge run defenders in the NFL. Uh, he's just an incredible athlete. He can pursue from the backside. He can set the edge. I think he's a very, very good edge defender. And I agree with you. I just don't think he's in that top tier. And I don't, know if he'll get to that top tier but a lot of teams would take a montez sweat i just don't know if you're going to pay him top top dollar so last thing um before we uh transition to like the last four but this defensive line how do you see it playing out obviously we know deron Payne, his uh contract expires this year but you have the option to tag him or extend i um, mean montez sweat his contract expires next year and i think that's after yeah that's at his fifth year is next year so you have the option in 2024 to tag slash extend how do you kind of see this 
defensive line situation playing out. If I were to say maybe at the end of 2023, that's too far out. I'm going to just get the floor to you. What do you think about Deron Payne? Is he going to hit that free agency marking, or is he going to try to find that continuity and, and, and stay here with Allen um, and, and eat a little bit in Washington? Yeah, I, I think they do re-sign him. Um, I just think you just kind of look at just the philosophy of Ron Rivera and this kind of stuff right now. It's just like they, they want this sort of player. They want this sort of guy, and this is what they want to really pride themselves off. So I think they pay him. Um, so I think you have Allen and Payne locked up for a very long time. Okay. I don't know if they, they'll do the same for Sweat. And I think it all really depends on how Chase Young looks when he comes back. Because if you have Chase Young, I don't think you need to – because you're going to eventually have to pay him. Yes. Like if he if he comes back and he plays well, like the same version he was when he was Rookie of the Year, then you're going to obviously choose to pay him over Sweat. And you can't pay all four guys. I mean, you can, but then where does that money go? Like, you know, it's, it's, a double, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I – you pay them, but then you're, you're losing money for possible, you know, depth replacements. And I think that's a big issue. And what a, was one of a big issue with our defense before is like just the lack of depth at important positions. I think you're seeing it right kind of right now with linebacker. I mean, we got John Bostic playing 60, 70 snaps again. That's never great. Um, no offense yeah. to John Bostic. I think he does what he can. He's just not the same athlete as he once was. Athletically challenged is all it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you saw it. You see it at cornerback. Like Danny, every year Danny Johnson is playing significant snaps for us every single year uh so it's just i don't know i I think i I wouldn't want to be in their situation i I think there's there's obviously pros and cons to both sides and i think it's it's honestly a coin flip right now i I just i don't know what you would do do you bring chase back for the last four (sighs) looks it's it's some people out there who say (laughs) no look i know some people personally nope i I think i think you do i mean uh, I don't know. I don't know what his injury situation is like. I thought he'd be back four or five weeks ago. So I, I don't know if you don't bring him back after a bye week and all this time and you're kind of revving him up. I, I don't see why you would even bring him back. Like if he doesn't play against the Giants, I don't think he's playing the rest of the year. Just because you've had all this time, you have the bye week, you get him all set up. I don't know. I want to see him back because I think he can be very good. I just, I don't know. It's been one of the weirdest injury things I've ever seen. Yeah, um, Del Rio has said maybe like a week or two ago that, you know, his main concern was making sure that when Chase does come back, if he comes back, that, you know, he fits in and, and falls in line and not necessarily wants to play this hero ball uh, for that defensive line who is who's like the chemistry right now is out of this world from the world players to the actual superstars on that line. Um, so I, I, I do want him to come back, but, um, you know, I'm not going to be upset if he doesn't miss the next four games. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I, I don't know what his injury extent is either. Um, last thing, Nick, uh, how do you see these last four games playing out? Is this a is this a playoff team when it's all said and done? I think I think so. I, I just mostly because I don't trust the other teams that are you know really <laughs> kind of chasing us right now. Like I, yeah. it, it's all like I said, it's all just jumbled up. I think you have the Eagles and the Niners up at the top, and I think the rest of those teams, well, Vikings obviously at the top of their record, but I think everyone kind of agrees that they're sort of in that mid tier as well. Um, I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be entertaining as hell to watch. I think if you if you beat the Giants next week, I think it'd be very very tough to not get in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I just think that's the be, main one. It's the Giants. Yeah. Like you got to you can't lose to the Giants, and I think we all been saying that, that for like one. the last three weeks. Yeah, you can't lose that one, and I don't know. They should, every game I feel like is gonna be the same, and it's gonna be the same as it has been in the past. It's gonna be these ugly ugly games, and then comes down to the end where some team's gonna make a play, some team's gonna get a bounce. And hopefully you win. I mean, 
Obviously, it didn't happen last week. No yeah. team got a bounce. No team made a play. So 2020 tie is what we get. But I think it's just going to be that case. Like, I, I don't understand. You can't – I don't think you can project any of these. I think they can win every single game. I think they can lose every single game. It's just going to be one of those end of those years. It's just weird. I see three and one at the at the very – at max, it's three and one. Because I don't see them beating the Niners at all. I, I didn't I see them see beating. The, I didn't see them beating the Eagles. I didn't see them beating a lot of these other fair, teams. It doesn't, fair enough. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> I could see them going three and one, and the three wins being against the Niners, Browns, and Cowboys, and the loss being the Giants. Like I could see that. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to make any sense. But that's just kind of summed up this team. Sounds good. Fair enough, man. Nick, I, I appreciate you joining me once again and and, and, and chopping up with uh, me about all the, all things Commanders. I want to give you the floor, man, to. Let the people know where they can find you. Anything and in, in everything that you got going on, man. The floor is yours. Yeah, it's it's just Twitter for me uh, at pff underscore Nick Ackridge. It's if you want to come yell at me about some Deron Payne grades or every grade, <laughs> I I've heard it all. I get it all every single week. Um, well, the article's coming out soon. And I'll, I'll make sure to mention you. You know what I'm saying? When 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 the headline is PFF grades them 50 59 or whatever the number is, I'd be like, look, blame Nick if you want smoke. <laughs> yeah, bro. I, I get it all the time. I'm used to it. I usually just kind of respond with some stupid, dumbass answer. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that's where it is. I'll be posting a lot more, hopefully more breakdowns now that college football's over and doesn't take up my entire week. So yeah, it's just Twitter for me. 